and welcome to the EMG Gold podcast. I'm your host for today, Sam Boyassi, and today I'm joined by Haida Alec, Global Head of Digital Excellence at Faring Pharmaceuticals. Thanks for joining us today, Haida. How are you doing? Thanks for the invite. Hello, Sam. Great. It's, it's super great to have you on board because I know we've been trying to get you on board for a while now, ever since we've seen you speak at various events, including I for Pharma. Um, but I'd love to give our listeners a bit of background before I get stuck into the interview. Haida is first and foremost an entrepreneur. He started his first company at 16 and since then has followed his passion for creating innovative customer experiences by disrupting the way big businesses approach marketing and technology. He first joined Faring Pharmaceuticals as a consultant before signing up to be their global head of digital excellence in 2017. And over the past three years there, he's been focusing on creating digital transformation, both inside Faring and in the industry as a whole. So Haida, my first question to you is something that I mentioned there in, in the introduction very briefly. So you started your first company at the age of 16. So can you tell us about what motivated you to do this and, and what you learned about entrepreneurship from, from your first venture? Yeah, so, uh, and, and actually for me, you know, I, I never, I never come back, you know, on on that part of my life uh, too often because I'm I'm usually trapped into you know the digital health train and and we talk only about this. But it's it's an interesting story, frankly. I didn't know uh, back then what I was doing. I was just uh, you know a young kid coding, uh, and it was a beginning in the, in the you know two thousand uh, years. You know, it was a beginning of those websites, and uh, everyone wanted something, you know, to, on this, and I started to help in in my city i started to basically build websites for different small shops and small businesses uh, in exchange of uh, you know services i wanted to have a car then you know i was hustling around selling my websites and uh, and from you know from a couple of cu- customers i started actually to increase that to to more and i started to create uh, you know more and more um, business for myself and I started recruiting also some friends to help me so at, at 16 i started to say yeah you know i have to pay salaries and stuff so i started to, <laughs> you know to build to really but frankly my, my parents didn't know what i was doing they almost thought you know i was dealing drugs or something you know like, <laughs> what, what is this money coming from and don't lie you can't say it you're selling some bunch of pixels on the internet uh so yeah so that was a funny start and uh and it really took off for me at around 20, 19, 20 years old, when I started to really run uh, online political campaigns from some French politicians. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where I started to have like those bigger, let's say, bigger campaigns at a national level or regional level. That's, that's how it started for me. Brilliant. I mean, I'd be embarrassed to tell you what I was doing at the age of 16, nowhere near as, you know, advanced as, as you are. So that is really, really impressive. And I'd love to take it a bit further now because um, you we've noticed that you have really, really keen interest in Japanese business methodologies in particular, like Kaizen, Lean Six Sigma. Could you first of all define what they are very briefly to those who might not know and then tell us why you value these approaches so much in particular? So... Um... I discovered them uh, at the end of my engineering school. So I did an engineering school close to Paris. And and my first job was in the automotive industry. And as you can imagine, the automotive industry is very structured. And they Mm. love, you know, scale, manage risk. And I was at a crossroad of a job in the quality department where I had to, on one side, 
and listen to R&D and marketing and trends and what mm. will come in the next five years to be stabilized on a pipeline, uh, on a production pipeline. And then, and I was uh, very interested uh, to see how we could smooth and, and scale, um, you know, those, uh, those activities. And they 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 offered me to to be a project manager a kaizen project manager and to 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 be trained on those methodologies and for me this was a wake up call because suddenly you know i was doing it for the automotive um, supplier you know every day but then i was looking at this whole world you know coming from a digital marketing perspective unstructured and this is where i, st- I thought you know what this 50 years old uh, methodology to 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 basically kill waste, be lean. So the whole philosophy, it's a, almost a culture and a philosophy, almost a mindset uh, mm. where they, they teach you how to really create value at every single step of the way and responsabilize uh, the stakeholders. So instead of, of basically just asking someone to press a button and just doing it uh, you know, without thinking, you responsabilize that person and say you are tremendously important. You be you need to be accountable, and mm. and uh, everyone then feels empowered to make a change and to optimize their their little uh, almost production, right? So that's mm. that's how I learn. So Kaizen and Sisigma, there is a, a huge uh, literature on that, and it could be quite you know. Uh, you know, if you don't, if you don't like numbers, you know, C Sigma is pretty pretty boring for you. But at least from a mindset, and I think what I was uh, really appreciating along the years, um, and especially on the digital side, you've seen a lot of the startups, right? The, C, the Lean C Sigma movement actually started to hit the startup world, and now you know, agile is almost everywhere. So mm-hmm. for me, I don't, I don't, I don't call it new. I, I've been, you know, in working agile since I started working, just using those old 50 years old Japanese methodology. So I'm kind of glad it, it actually, it, it's, it is getting commoditized almost now in, in the digital teams and, and now bigger in, in wider IT and marketing organizations. And do you think having had that understanding and also having had the opportunity to work in the automotive industry, do you think that that made your transition into the pharma industry smoother? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, one reason I started in pharma was because of that background I had with ISO regulation, you know, mm. certifications and, uh, you know, uh, in quality. So I think one of the uh, reason I, I, I entered the industry was was that because they felt that perhaps that I can I can scale and and, and control bigger programs uh, and I think I, if I remember well and one of my first project was for Novartis uh, being a consultant in, in a consulting company before and and my first job was to make sure we you can get from five countries to a hundred countries and still maintaining quality the quality of the system right so it, mm-hmm. it started really from a let's say. Uh, the backbone of those experiences, so the tech. And I'm not ashamed to say it uh, because it helps me sometimes have meaningful conversation with all stakeholders. But quickly, it helped me really go into that customer experience and, and the activation of those solutions. And that's that hybrid competence, competencies, you know, this, this hybrid view of uh, how to, to tame, you know, those experiences mm-hmm. actually is, is really sometimes helping me to, to understand how to, to build mm. bigger ecosystems. Yeah. Makes sense. And, and when you then joined Faring as the global head of digital excellence, 
I'm really curious, what, what were your key objectives and, and how have these evolved over time since you've been there? So I see, I mean, Faring is an interesting company uh, and it, it, is, it is not too big. So it's, it's mid-sized, 7,000 people, 2 billion euro revenues. So you still feel that the transformation you can impact will will get there quite quickly. It's, I, I would, mm. This is what I always say to, to people coming to those conferences and webcasts. See what what mid-sized pharma are doing because they're they're a good lab for bigger pharma companies as well to see what's working and what doesn't. And mm. it's also a good, interesting um, journey to follow for smaller pharma and smaller startups because you see the scale and the market expansion. So what uh, what was my uh, my objective when I started was, first of all, you will you will laugh, but uh, for me it was to uh, kill the word digital because we both agreed <laughs> with the with the uh, you know with the executive committee and the, and the and the management that uh, somehow what happened with digital and firing you know before I joined uh, it was an exploration journey and I'm not yeah. saying it's bad to have a, a group of people exploring I think it's 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 pretty important to have those scouts looking but then. The burning platform is still there to start, you know, transforming the commercial line or how to do digital therapeutics. So at some point they said, okay, now we understood. Can you stabilize this into our mix? Can you go and and just commoditize that capability? We don't mm. want, I mean, there will always be something new to explore on. And that's actually people like me. This is what I say. Don't be, you know. Don't be scared on, on things uh, that you don't know because we are explorers. We are supposed to lead organization into a new frontier, right? So, but th- this yeah. is what Faring wanted in 2017, commoditize it. Uh, and they wanted to do almost three, three paths for that. One play was help us you know, optimize our sales force and our marketing on the material portfolio. Let's use digital for what it is to actually create a better reach, uh, lower the cost per acquisition, like a very business play. On mm-hmm. the second part, it was um, on some of our therapeutic era, we are a market leader and we need to show the way and people need to hear from us. And digital could be that surround sound where everyone will will see us listen to us can you help us get that um, amplification box and that is a very different play uh, in terms of leadership positioning visibility you know using social media to create an emotional bond with the company and so on that is very different than you know optimizing the CRM optimizing the way a sales force uh, is is doing on on the ground and the last play was we have to innovate we have to um, bring new services, new digital companions to our offering, but we'll have to do it without being a tech company. So can mm. you create a condition for us to be plugged to an external ecosystem of innovators? And I found the, the challenge interesting, and that's why I joined Faring because, frankly, it would have been hard to do it from the outside as, a, as an external consultant. And, and I, I wanted to basically uh, create that um, almost a business case for me on running a transformation on three legs like uh, the one I just described. That's that's brilliant because I think often we we are curious to understand how it actually works within the pharmaceutical organization like Faring. What what are the steps? What are the processes and the objectives that you kind of set yourselves when it comes to something as digital and different for the industry, I guess. And um, Ada, I want to talk to you a bit more about 
COVID-19, because it's it's no secret that it really has inspired rapid technological adoption across the industry. But what advancements were most overdue, in your opinion, and and what positive impact will these have for the future of the industry? So I I think from an industry perspective, uh, what you you can complain on is that we've been an industry that is very good at contemplating change. And very, very bad at like taming it and, and putting it into action. So, and I don't, I don't have a perfect answer to that. But I, I've been, uh, I've been looking at other industries that actually got disrupted by creating the condition for others to come and disrupt. Like I see the financial industry or some other industries where, I mean, you, you see old banks that are now creating conditions for you as an individual to send money to your family in a click right in a text mm. message how hard it is for us to have a, a diff, like a double opinion on the diagnosis it's super complicated to to have mm. to have that as an industry so i think covid19 created a wake up call in a way to see look the behavior is there the hcps are are looking to use digital to discuss with different stakeholders or even their patients. And patients are adopting new platforms for self-diagnosis, prevention, maintenance. I mean, it is happening. So now I think this is a good, right? So there, there is a, a readiness to absorb those new channels and new experiences. The bad is uh, we... As an industry, as a pharma industry, we were not the, the trigger. We, we, we didn't control it in a way that we could have uh, done better. So I think that is, uh, that is uh, one thing that is interesting. And then if I look, if I zoom on fairing, what created for, for us um, the stress with COVID was, of course, uh, our front line. Uh, you mm-hmm. have to imagine that our sales rep couldn't visit uh, their doctors. So mm-hmm. we, it was really a, a stress test for us for all the channels we were trying to introduce and so on. So suddenly, you know, we had to, to, to showcase that it is working. And it did. I mean, we had, I mean, it was very, very uh, positive to see our front line not even blinking an eye saying, yeah, uh, you know, I'm not sure. No, they went for it. They were, give us what you have. Will do it. So I think that was positive to see to see that much adherence from the from inside. Um, and then we also saw uh, that we had to think a bit outside of the box because our doctors, when they were communicating with us, they were saying, "Look, you know, uh, what what do you have as, as a patient platform that I can just give to my patient to prevent them to go to mm. to the hospital because the hospital could not." afford having flux of patients with flares and so on. So we've seen a change uh, both at the individual level, but also at the associations level. So we do partner with associations and we do help them. I mean, we work together to bring new patient services so that we prevent in the non-COVID um, you know, diseases areas uh, to, to, to maintain the, the relationship with patient at home. And, and so that is very positive. So we see ourselves much more valued with our expertise in, in working in those disease areas. And on the other side, I think uh, on the fertility side, I mean, fairing is pretty big in fertility. As you can imagine, um, mm. IVFs were stopped because of COVID. So we had mm. also to, to provide, a, you know, directions and to be, to, I mean, to listen also mostly yeah. to what's ha- to what was going on so that we we will be there when those sac- 
those, those IVF activities will restart. And I think this is this is also being humble enough, you know, to say, you know, we'll be there, we'll listen to your needs, uh, and and will will help you co-create uh, the solution and the services that um, you know mm. our, our patients will need or you you will need. That is really positive to hear, especially not only the mindset that your team at Faring has had around this, but also the fact that you, as you said, you listen. You're not just making assumptions as to whether, you know, what it is, what is it that the HCPs will need? What is it that the patients will need? You're listening to what they think they need or what they want. That's brilliant. And, and, and now that pharma is embracing tech advancements a lot more, what can they learn from more tech-savvy industries like fintech? And, and how can we ensure this cross-industry learning takes place? So I think it's a, it's a it's a good question because I think, as I said, we've been pretty bad at adopting quickly uh, you know, new experiences, and you've and, and we've been a bit lagging in this. And I think you, you'll see you'll see that the fintech industry created like this kind of sandwich of uh, of uh, partners that are you know in the second row building you know uh, if you look at blockchain startup that are commoditizing the way you build trust in in you know in a, in a, technology system so that uh, you know you know exactly what's happening in the background i mean do you have a lot of players that started to to really work hand in hand and i think this is happening now for for the industry as well we are much more seeing deeper relationship uh with those uh, smaller agile innovators and with the big tech as well i mean uh, we, you, we start also at least from what i see to understand uh, what they could provide, what we could provide to the table. So, mm. are we, as I said, are we going to be competing uh, in 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 the tech era? No, uh, the, the war talent uh, is too big. Uh, we cannot hire ten thousand data scientists, right? It's 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 madness. So mm. we'll have to work with them, but that somehow we have also to. They, they need to recognize that. They will never beat our knowledge around our molecules. They, mm. they will be hardly. Uh, competing with us on retrospectively looking at data and publish on potential data pool, right, on, that are relevant for therapeutic areas. So I think we shouldn't be too scared of partnering and looking at, uh, you know, that uh, collaboration in, in the wrong way. I think if you keep, you know, the value for the patient and the clinical practice in the horizon, the ocean is so big to be tackled, to, to collaborate and still extract the value. I think... What is not clear is why are we doing this? What are our KPIs to, to reconfort our management that we are doing it for the right thing? And I think this is where you see two types of pharma companies evolving in this. You'll see pharma companies that will just be better pharma companies, so that we will still you know, try to produce better drugs and, you know, build on our efficacy and safety profiles and, you know, and just create better experiences for everyone. Uh, and you will see pharma companies that will really go having a tech arm and really go further and really disrupt mm. some. And I think depending on the side, and I will not mention name, but, you know, you have the usual suspect you see in the industry. Mm. I mean, you see those two, those two profile uh, very easily. And as you can feel, our profile at Faring is to is to to really be good at what we do right now, be a specialty farmer, be good at what we do, be recognized for what we do, and leverage the competencies around us. So I think that is, I, I'm not saying one is better than the other. I think mm. this is this is just different different games totally, and um, and I, I, and you know this is where 
those bigger companies trying to to have a tech arm within them, I think they have a huge work you know ahead of them. But if they tackle it properly, yeah, they are onto something really big for for transforming the industry. Brilliant. You articulated that excellently. So thank you for that. And I've got one last question for you, Haida. So we've heard, from, you know, where you started as a 16-year-old entrepreneur and coding and all of that. So it's very clear that you've got a passion for tech. But what is one app that you cannot live without? And, and why should everyone download it? If you look at your phone now, what is that app? Ah, interesting. Uh, so I'm looking at my phone right now. So, <laughs> so I think, I think, uh, funny enough, um, I will say I have two apps. I have okay. two apps. Uh, I have obviously I'm, I'm a huge WhatsApp user. So I think mm. I'm spending most of my time on on WhatsApp because it's creating you know with the groups and you can you can articulate your professional life and so I think I just like it right. I just it's just so easy to keep in touch, especially in a re- remote area, uh, you know where you can't you just have uh, you know everyone you know around the coffee. You know, yeah. I'm French, so usually we 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 discuss at uh, terrace in you know and around yeah. a glass of wine or something. So, but but here, uh, I think yeah, that is one. And the second one, from a content perspective, is YouTube. I've been mm. I've been really f- either for my personal music taste or watching just a documentary or just following some thought leaders. Mm. I mean, I don't watch TV anymore. I've really switched to you know YouTube I, in a in wow. a big in a big way. So I watch my movies there. I watch everything. I mean, professionally and culturally, yeah. I'm, I start. I think I, I came. I became a YouTube freak. Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. I've never heard of anyone who stopped watching TV and is now watching all of that on YouTube. I didn't yeah. even know you could do all of that. So. Yeah. To- so um, so all the replays, everything. Um. So uh, for example, even you know I I like uh, racing and and I follow uh, racing drivers and everything. Mm. And and you can just do that. On, on on YouTube, so it's almost a, and I'm the kind of uh, person that really goes into the comments and discuss, and you have a, you have a huge community on yeah. on YouTube. It's it's crazy, yeah. Brilliant! I'll have to get onto that now. So. I will do that. Thanks for sharing. Um, But Haida, fascinating insights. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for the invitation. And to all of our listeners, I hope you found that as insightful uh, as I did. And please do join us again next week to hear from another exciting guest on the EMG Gold podcast. Thank you and take care.